Welcome, everybody, to the Chinchilla Pickin' Podcast. It is October 22nd, 2023, at 3.40 p.m. As always, we hope to be entertaining, educational, and uplifting, because we want everyone to make money. My name is David Underwood, and I am joined by the one and only Baron of Bonds, Brandon Beaver. Brandon, how are you? Good. How about you? I am doing well. I'm doing very well. Uh, if you don't know, if you're listening to right now, you don't know why. I, why does he always say the date and time on these shows? Well, stocks and investments are very date and time specific. So I could give advice this week on, say, a particular stock, but then geopolitical events could happen and a different country bombs a supply chain somewhere else and all of a sudden that stock drops. Well, that matters because I gave I gave uh, my advice on this particular uh, a company in stock at this time before those events happened. So it, it all matters. Um, and that's why we give the date and time so that you understand when we're talking about this in reflection to what's going on at that moment. Right. So I just right. wanted to reiterate that, but Brandon, how are you doing, man? It's October, yeah, almost yeah. Halloween. And you know, and when we first started this show, we did a decent amount of kind of like timeless advice podcasts, like teaching and things like that. Maybe we should get back into that a little bit. Um, because I do see a lot of times, um, honestly, most of our listens that come to our podcast, it seems like are not for the most recent episode. Um, right. Most people go listen. I don't. I, this is something that was unexpected to me. But most most people that come and listen to us, they go and listen to prior episodes, and it's probably based on companies uh, that are mentioned in the title or in the um, in the uh, description. But um, yeah. Uh, Maybe we should go a little bit back towards that, but I don't know. I feel like we do. I feel like we we define some of the things we're talking about um, as we go through a podcast. But like if we're talking about Walmart and something happens with that and we use the term, it gapped up or gapped down, down, we we take a minute and we explain what that means as we go. So there's always that. But, yes, I understand where you're where you're wanting to go with it. Yeah. But, yeah, Halloween coming up. I'm, I'm ready for it. I mean. I will say this year, even all the big uh, companies, they they did not buy as many um, what uh, what do you call it? holiday specific items uh, for Halloween. They said that ahead of time. Walmart, uh, Target, and so on and so forth, they were buying less for those ho- uh, holiday specific, and they bought it earlier, much earlier in the year. They put it out earlier, so I feel like it's going to be wrapped up earlier, and then we're going to be pushing right into. Uh, our uh, Christmas time holiday season, and it we're going to get right into that. And I, I, I feel like that's going to be pushed up earlier, and they're going to run out of supplies at the end because they're not ordering as much. And but they they told us this is what they were going to do at the beginning of the year, and that could be something to keep an eye on too. If you're at the grocery store, um, you know, if they went light on it this year. That might be an indicator of the macroeconomic uncertainty or the, you know, the whole as the economy as a whole. Maybe people just don't have enough money to be spending on holiday supplies uh, this year because they're spending so much money on food and um, gasoline and stuff. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting because last year when we were in like November, uh, early part of December, everybody was completely bullish on the holiday season. But then as December wrapped up and the numbers actually came out, it turned out that it was it was a much lower holiday season than what was expected. And uh, a lot of a lot of discretionary companies 
actually missed on uh, their estimates. Yeah. So it was, it's interesting to see that. And if, if they're going to miss again this year, or if they're actually going to learn from last year and uh, supply correctly this year. Yeah. We'll, All right. We'll see. Rules, rules, rules. Brandon and I get together five to 10 minutes before the show. And tell each other what we're going to talk about. Do you hear the live back and forth, the bicker and the banter right here on the show? Brandon, go ahead and go first like always, man. All right. So leading up to four of the six macroeconomic recessions, counting back to 1972, and leading up to the most three recent recessions, um, counting July 1990, March 2021, and December of 2007, the freight economy has entered a recession prior to the rest of the economy. It's been the indicator there. Um, and, and it's uh, leading the cycles by anywhere between 1 and 21 months. Um, now, with that being said, the freight economy is generally much more um, volatile than the rest of the economy. So there's been a lot more freight recessions and trade recessions and such. Then there has been actual, you know, macroeconomic recessions that have affected the entire economy. With that being said, right now, uh, I think it's safe to say after the last earnings, and Dave, I know you're probably going to disagree with me on this because we talked about this before the show, global trade seems to be in a free fall. Uh, Rodolphe Saad, he's the billionaire chief executive of the French container line CMA CGN. This is the world's third largest container line company. And he said in an interview that he expects weak growth in global trade to continue through 2024. He said, most probably 2024 will be pretty much the same as the second half of 23, provided that there's no exceptional crisis. We expect more tension in the months to come. We see that demand is not as strong as, as it was before. And we see crisis around the world. And this is having an impact on the shipping business. Um, looking at the combined net profits for all of the container shipping lines in the second quarter, they fell to $8.9 billion, down $54 billion from the industry-wide earnings the same quarter last year. So a $54 billion drop there. And then according to industry analyst John McCowan, the Denmark uh, Marine Data Company, C Intelligence said freight rates are down between 48% to 67% from a year ago. Very large drop. They said the second half of 2023 will be weaker than the first half of the year. Give me one second, Dave. And the company faces headwinds through 2024 as ocean carriers deploy a record number of new container ships at a time of geopolitical instability and flagging um, freight demand. That's from the Wall Street Journal. Go ahead, Dave. So, I mean, all right. I have a number of questions here, and I don't want to overload you with a bunch of questions, but I'm going to give you a couple. Number one, are they looking at different sectors of the shipping individually, or are they grouping everything as a whole? It's everything as a whole. Okay, because here, here's my next question with, like, uh, let's let's take North Atlantic uh, uh, trade. NAT, I believe, is the ticker. I, I could be wrong on that, so don't, uh, don't look that up on me. Um, but... They specialize in just shipping oil, and they ship mainly between North America and Europe, which is should have gone up, and they should be making money hand over fists right now. So 
I would be more concerned with companies like uh, Diana Shipping or uh, Tops or Dry Ships or all those other penny stocks that have huge amounts of uh, shipping containers going back and forth throughout, you know, uh, the the world right now. It, and you're you're talking about a, a decreasing global volume of shipping, and then in what you just read, it's a lot of it's due to geo geopolitical events, based on the article you just read. Some of correct? it, correct? No, some, some of it. it. Now this okay. this has been going on ever since prior to uh, prior to the Israeli situation. Uh, it probably coincided with Ukraine war, but I mean Ukraine, yes, with the grain shipping, and this is why I said specifically sectors. You know, because I believe oil shipping has gone up. I believe those those companies who specialize in shipping oil should be maintaining profitability and doing just fine. I think what you're you're looking at, like here's here's the thing: we have the news that uh, came out this last week about the um, the trade embargoes from uh, the United States on uh, on chips going to China, and how that Nvidia stock took a huge jump one day, uh, not jump, sorry, huge downturn, and it's a headwind towards Nvidia because now we're, uh, the United States government saying you can't ship this over to China and China can't ship it over here. I can see that as as possible reasons why some of the shipping has gone down. Um, you can say that companies, like I just said in our opening here, that some companies are ordering less, and maybe that's why shipping going down. But you see what I'm what I'm asking, like is more the specifics. Like I'm giving, I'm actually giving you ammo right now for your argument with these examples I'm giving you. But I, there's other areas where I believe that if all shippings are going down, maybe you buy that North Atlantic trade company that ships just oil back and forth because they got to still be doing well. Depends on what the stock's been doing. Depends on if it's at a value or not. But what from what I see, look, 2020, 2021, and 2022, most companies got hit hard with extremely high shipping costs. Um, broken uh, supply chains, bottlenecks supply chains. And now that we're seeing the effects of inflation across the board um, for the past year, companies are really, really, really trying to cut down on expenses. And the first thing that they're cutting down on is their freight expenses. Um, the freight industry did really, really well from 2020 to 2022, incredibly well, way better than it ever has. So that's another reason why you're seeing seeing these kind of jaw-dropping drops right now coming back to normal. But I think we're we're going we're we're correcting further, you know, below um what the normal levels would be for sure here in freight. Um Denmark-based AP Moeller, Marisk, in August they posted their second quarter profit of $2.9 billion. This was down from $10.3 billion the same period last year. Orient Overseas Container Line, uh, they're based out of Hong Kong. Uh, they count uh, Costco shipping holdings as their um, customer. They reported an operating profit for the first half of this year of $1.1 billion, down 81% from the same period in 2022. Uh, looking at Union Pacifics, their profits fell 19% in the third quarter to $1.5 billion. They actually beat analyst expectations on this. This is one of the th things I want people to uh, look at, too. Look at the year over years on this. Don't just look at the uh, you know the analyst expectations because if they're beating expectations, but if they're still down twenty percent year over year, just looking at what they did versus expectations might paint you a rosier picture than um than what you should be you know seeing. 
Yeah, because they they tamp they change the expectations to fit correctly where the stock is performing. Right, right, right. and that's what you're talking about. Yeah, quarterly revenue for Union Pacific uh, is five point nine four billion dollars, which is down ten percent from six point seven or six point five seven billion dollars last year, and that was actually below the consensus forecast of five point nine six billion dollars. Uh, Convoy, this was big news this uh, this past week. Digital freight startup Convoy suspended operations. They're winding down their core business. It's seeking alternatives. It may include selling its technology. Um, and Convoy had raised actually $260 million in a funding round last year that valued the business at about $3.8 billion. And they told employees in an email that it would stop accepting shipments until further notice and that it was rescheduling or canceling existing loads um, its customers have included major companies, including Home Depot, uh, Procter and Grant, Pro, excuse me, Procter and Gamble, Unilever, uh, and Anheuser Busch, and they were also backed and invested in by Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, and former U.S. President or uh, Vice President Al Gore. Um, they've gone through several rounds of layoffs over the past eighteen months. They've cut its workforce down to five hundred workers, and it had peaked at one thousand five hundred. So quite a bit. All right. So, I mean, there, there's weakness in shipping, right? Absolutely. There's, there's a lot of weakness in shipping. I do want to point out the one I was, the one company I was talking about, just so anyone listening, it is Nordic American Tankers. <laughs> I got the ticker symbol, right? I got the name of the company wrong. The ticker symbol is NAT, but it's Nordic American Tankers and they specialize in oil tankers. And in fact, their CEO just uh, two months ago bought 50,000 more shares of it just because that's how much that CEO believes in the company of his own money. He went ahead and bought that and they purchased a Suez max tanker increasing their fleet by one huge super max tanker there. So they are continuing to grow. So it sounds like your companies are laying off versus NAT is continuing to add. So that tells me again, is sector specific. So oil's added because oil is high price right now, which also goes into shipping. And this is one of the points I was going to make to you. Um, so I want you to to just pay attention because I want to hear your real response. And, and I know you have a good one because you're involved with shipping as your day job right now. Um, the price of oil uh, was was not as high as it was about a year, year or two ago. And the shippers such as like J.B. Hunt, um, or some of these other bigger shippers around here um, in the United States could charge a lot more than what they could charge now. Well, the price of oil has not fallen. In fact, it's gone up since then, but yet they are have to charge less to be competitive because the market's oversaturated. Now, with companies such as Yellow disappearing, the saturation is going to disappear, and, and eventually it's going to recirculate back around, and they're going to be charging more again. That's my thought, so, and I think this is just cyclical. It is cyclical, yeah. There's definitely a business cycle here as well. There's a business cycle in every industry. I do the one thing that I would be concerned about uh, North American trade with oil. We were just talking about last week uh, the the rig counts going down, right? Because the oil companies are becoming more efficient. Well, if that's happening, then what's going to happen to oil shipments? 
I mean, they're becoming more efficient, so they're still pumping out the same amount well, okay. of oil and as they were before point. with less rigs. Yeah, it's funny. So, I, kind of, I guess I kind of answered my question. I, and and this is so, I mean, if anyone was listening right now, ever guess that we really do not talk about things until the moment, that's evidence <laughs> yeah. right there that yeah. we really don't talk about this until you hear right. it on the show. Right. But everything else, as far as shipping goes, the one thing about this, he, he was talking, you, you were talking about him buying back uh, shares. Um, yes. Of his own 50,000 shares. Yeah. Okay. So the one thing about the freight industry, okay, spot rates change on a constant basis. So this makes it a very resilient industry, even though even though we have a situation where freight goes into recession a lot more than the overall economy does, and that it's very volatile. The, the good thing about the freight industry is that the prices change on the spot. That's why they call them spot rates, right? On a weekly basis, they are different. So the freight industry is very nimble and can change on a dime as far as the pricing goes. So even though they're the first ones to go into recession, they're probably going to be the first ones to come out of it. Okay. And then with the companies that are then paying, you know, trying to cut back on all these expenses um, on freight and stuff. And right now they're, they're using the cheapest carriers that they can possibly find. Eventually the late, um the late you know the late orders that show up um claims on loads things like that all that stuff's going to start adding up as well and they're going to say well wait a minute maybe we should start you know paying more attention to paying up for better quality freight and then that's kind of when you're going to see this industry turn around i think and i do think you might even see this industry turn around before it's even announced that we're in a recession for the macroeconomic picture um, we never really know that we're in a recession until after it's already happened anyways, right? So we just kind of have all these lagging indicators that show up. This is something that's been going on in freight for the past three to six months, if not longer. It's just now really starting to show up in the data. So um, buying now, if if you find a company that's of, of good value, uh, and if that guy thinks NAT is a good value, that's not, it's probably not a bad idea. Right. And it did move higher. Um, a, a, not a lot. I wouldn't even call it a gap up, but it did move higher after he, he made his, uh, re his purchase of those shares. So over the last two months, yeah. um, but, um, it's been a slow move, but I'm, I'm, I'm just pointing out there are sectors within shipping that if the whole sector drops, there are certain sectors where you could buy in and make swing trades or six month trades on, and, and make some money and make some yeah. returns here. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of yeah. like the whole, yeah, I agree. Let's look at JP Hunt, though. They they reported Tuesday profit tumbled more than 30% um, in the quarter that ended September 30th. Revenue fell 18% to $3.16 billion. They missed the $3.17 billion expected by analysts. Operating income in the intermodal businesses for rail, uh, which transports good by truck and train. JB Hunt's largest business segment that fell 41% to $128 million. Uh, CASA Information Systems reported Tuesday in its monthly CAS freight index that freight rates across all U.S. domestic trucking and rail networks were down 20% in September from the same month last year. Now, let's move into small parcels uh, because we've covered rail, we've covered full truckloads, we've covered um overseas over air uh international shipping ups revenue in the second quarter slipped 11 percent from a year earlier to 22.1 billion dollars 
missed the $23 billion consensus. Uh, profit fell 27% to $2.08 billion on a per share basis. It's Profit was $2.42 on a per share basis is what I meant to say there. Um, in the U.S. domestic market, average daily package volume fell 9.9% in June. Uh, internationally, average daily package volume fell 6.6%. So it seems to be that the U.S. freight rates are a little bit uh, worse off than than the rest of the globe. But um, they, did, they also reforecast. But go ahead. I'll talk about that after you say what you got to say here. <laughs> My, my question to you on this is uh, FedEx. Do, do you have FedEx's numbers? Because here's what I do know. FedEx around around the country in certain buildings, they they uh, shut down the buildings and they put the, peop- uh, the people, what do you call it? Uh, not, not a layoff, but a, uh, man, I'm I'm just, I need my coffee today. But uh, uh, they, they, they told the people, well, we'll hire you back. You're up for rehire. But we just have no need for this building to run right now. And so they they actually shut down a couple of buildings. I know around here, the uh, facility in Lebanon, Ohio, was uh, shut down for a short period of time. And the drivers were had to pick up, like truck drivers, had to pick up work in other areas. I've had a number of ex-FedEx truck drivers come by and drop off working for LTL companies uh, saying that they uh, couldn't get work. Um, no, so I, I wonder – yeah, and, and my, my question is, you know um, – you know, if if FedEx is doing that in order to cut costs and remain profitable, did the revenue drop? Because if the revenue dropped that twenty percent, but that was what was expected, and they beat expectations, but because their bottom line was so good, but I mean, they're taking drastic cuts in order to do so. Yeah, I don't have FedEx numbers, but I will say that UPS was also dealing with the Teamsters Union and renegotiating that contract, so that also weighed on earnings as well. Not which they on- lost. They, not they, well, I wouldn't say they lost, but. It was it was better for the Teamsters than it was for UPS. Yeah, for sure. Right, and as as someone who was a former Teamster union steward, which who, that was me way back in the day, believe it or not, I was a former Teamster union. Right, um, this is probably the best deal for the Teamsters uh, versus UPS since the one in late nineties. Okay, so this is a very good deal for them. Yeah. They reforecasted their revenue down as well. UPS said revenue this year would be about $93 billion. Earlier this year, they said that they expected 2023 revenue to come in between uh, 97 and $100 billion. They thought at least $97 billion. UPS had generated $100 billion in revenue last year. So nice. expecting $93 billion for this year. Again, do you believe that it's because companies like Walmart and Target ordered less and they came out and said they were going to order less because they expected a soft all this is I'm talking about Q, in the Q1 earnings call, right? All these companies such as Walmart and Target were saying that they're expecting a softer year and that they're expecting it to be harder later on because everybody was saying that all 2023 they're saying 2024 it's going to slow down, the economy's going to slow down. So Target and Walmart and all these other, uh, com- you know, companies went out there and they ordered less supply. The expectation probably contributed to it, but there's a lot of small and medium-sized businesses that weren't doing that, that were hoping for growth and didn't get it um, because of inflation, because they're having to pl- pay higher raw material costs and they got to cut back somewhere. Um, gotcha. Even the ones that are still shipping, you know, the same amount of volume, even the ones that are doing that, they're paying less for it because they can't, they can't go any higher with it. 
Well, I mean, uh, yeah, and uh, one of the, one of the biggest costs to a company is the headcount cost. The overhead cost is is employees. Uh, this is why you see Amazon. I don't know if you guys have watched videos of this, but I have, and I've shared it with certain individuals of Amazon robots actually doing the work inside an Amazon warehouse. And they're they're little. They look like the robots. I don't know if anyone listening right now has watched Star Wars: Phantom Menace. But they look like those robots from that movie, and they're sitting there moving boxes and packages around. And it's kind of funny to see because they're years away from them actually being practical, right? But the fact that Amazon's willing to spend so much money to develop these tells you where they're planning to go in the future. They're planning to get away from having to hire uh, individuals, people to go ahead and run these warehouses. They would rather build these robots out and have them do it. Which, I mean, as a business owner, if I was running the business, I would too. I can't blame him for that. And it's not just inflation, though, but it's also the cost of capital. The cost of taking out a loan right now is just too is too high. Oh, yeah. The interest rates right now, yeah. get about it. I mean, that's hurting right now the, the, the uh, housing demand. A lot of people took their houses off the market because they couldn't get the price they wanted for because the buyers weren't there. But that also means you have a lot of commercial um, investment coming in, not individual buyers, but commercial buyers coming in to buy up houses and then rent them out uh, and make uh, make their income that way. You know, I mean, there's a lot of companies that have switched their, their gears to do that. I mean, we've talked for years about Zillow started doing that years ago, way well ahead of the curve. Zillow would uh, buy up houses and then rent them out using their, their own <laughs> app and website to do it which is very smart of a zillow very very smart and efficient by them but i'm just saying like it's you're going to see a little bit more of that commercial buy-in and less of the individual in times of higher interest rates but if you bought a house in the 90s this is what you actually paid for you got a higher interest rate then too so yeah yeah all right uh so for this coming week um lots of news coming out lots of earnings lots of um Lots of data, so expect a lot of volatility here. Um, here's just just a little bit of brief. I think it's two-thirds of the S&P 500 reporting in the next week, which is crazy amount. Uh, Monday, Cleveland Cliffs reports. Uh, then you have Microsoft and Google and on Tuesday, or Alphabet, whatever you want to call them. And then uh, Meta Platforms on Wednesday, Amazon on Thursday. You've also got Coca-Cola, General Electric, General Motors, Nextra Energy, Spotify, Verizon, Visa, uh, Chipotle, Comcast, Ford Motor, Intel, Merck, Newmont, Southwest Airlines. Uh, so we're just doing an earnings recap on our next show is what you're saying, right? It's just yeah, an earnings so, recap. That's all we're going to yeah. do. Charter Communications, <laughs> Chevron, ExxonMobil. Um, so and- here's my highlights. Here's the ones I'm looking for this week, and then you can share yours. Um the ones I'm looking for are definitely Ford Motors. I want to see what they're going to say. I want to see GM, what they're going to say, and what they're going to say in regards to the strike because they have to say something about it. Right. They have to have a comment. They can't just report their earnings and not have a comment on it. You got to say how it's affecting your your overhead, uh, how it's affecting your bottom line, your revenue. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that right there. And then I'm also looking forward to uh, what Alphabet has to say in Microsoft and Meta about AI. And What's the update on that? Are you guys actually making money off of AI yet? Or are we still implementing it and trying to build out systems in order to make money here? Um, are we actually using it consistently on a daily basis where we're at with it? 
what's going on. And I want to know meta on pre-sales of their new Oculus headset, because I am a VR fan and I'm, I, I'm going to be ordering one. Um, but I also want to see that number. Like, are, are they seeing a lot of demand for that or is it very little demand and is it going to fall flat on them? I don't know if we, we might not have that answer yet. Right. I mean, it's pre-orders, right? Because they actually don't, they actually don't go on sale till I believe it's, is it December? I think so. November, December, uh, but you could have pre-orders. The pre-order number should be in for the new Meta Quest headset. And uh, I know I have one, but I have lots of VR stuff. You come into my house, I have a VR, this, that, and the other. Um, so there's not a lot of me out there. Um, I want to see. I know, right? I want to see, you know, is there like, you know, I want to see numbers in the millions of pre-orders uh, for the for the new Meta headset. Yeah, I would like to see that too. I would like to see that too. I don't with the AI and the metaverse. I don't know. I'm telling you, if you could get our TikTok followers up to ten thousand, I will give away a Meta headset to somebody. Okay. Right here on the show, October twenty second, by the end of this year, so by New Year's Eve, ten thousand followers on TikTok, I will give away a Meta headset to someone. You heard it. Do it. <laughs> All right. Economic data highlights of the week. This is going to be including the Bureau of Economic Analysis advanced estimate of third quarter gross domestic profit on Thursday. On average, economists are seeing a 3.6% real growth rate in the same period, which is that seems high to me, but I guess we'll find out. And that was versus 2.1% in the second quarter. So that is that is quite the jump there. On uh, Friday, the Bureau of Labor Statistics will release the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index for September. Uh, This is the PCE, if you ever hear of that. That's the uh, Fed's preferred inflation uh, gauge there. Um, It does not include food and energy, um, but they're forecasting it to be up 3.7% from a year earlier, and that's uh, slower than August's 3.9%. I think anything just uh, below 3.7% uh, would be bullish for the market. I agree. I agree. I would love to see a bigger drop so that we can uh, come to an end of these Fed rate hikes. And I think we need to continue with QE tightening. Uh, that needs to continue until the balance sheet is at zero. Right. Um, but... <laughs> The rate hikes can go away. That would be nice uh, for the markets. It's still it's still such a frustrating period though because that that uh, the tightening is what's really kind of breaking the market gauges. So you're seeing the uh, treasuries go up. I think the ten year just topped five percent or something like that. Something crazy high like that. And and those are going up because the Federal Reserve is offloading those treasuries into the market. It's not because people are expecting 5% inflation. Um, it's because the Federal Reserve is uh offloading it, you know, that and, and what that's doing is driving the treasury prices down and the yields higher. Um, at least I hope people aren't expecting five percent inflation. If you look at the 1970s, though. Inflation was actually pretty volatile. Like there was one year there where it was four percent before it jumped back up to 10, 11, 12, and 13 percent. So uh, I hope we're not heading in that direction. But it just seems to me like the uh, you know, the the gauge for the stock market that people often use is that 10-year treasury and in the 30 year. And uh they just they're 
off the chain right now. They have, I have to a, started the show. I have a good moment right now where you can explain, since you are the Baron of Bonds, if you can explain to everybody how me selling my 10-year bonds is causing the 10-year uh, interest rate to go up. Because what happens is as the demand for bonds fall, the interest rate goes up higher um, in order to uh, try to seduce buyers. So, you know, if nobody's wanting to buy it at 4%, then maybe it goes up to 4.1%, 4.2% and such until somebody steps in and says, okay, this is this is actually a pretty good yield for me. I'll step in and take it. There you go. Good explanation from the Baron of Bonds himself. <laughs> Nice. All right. So it's my turn right now, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Cool. Because I have a couple things and they are both tech related. Uh, one thing I want to talk about is Tesla. Tesla. They had earnings this past week. I'm not going to delve too much into the earnings. We're going to cover a couple of what were quote unquote weak points, which was China demand was down, right? So how do they get how do you how do you sell more cars in China when it's it's cheaper cheaper to make uh you know, uh, a Baidu car there than it than it is a Tesla, right? Of course. Um, and uh, Tesla has to continue to keep that China demand strong, but also keep the U.S. base strong. Um, that was one uh, headwind they had there. Another headwind that they had had to do with the robo-taxis. They got flack for the robo-taxis not keeping up with Whammo and other ones in the United States. Whammo, of course, is leading the way in the United States, Tesla is has not kept up with them. However, I believe it's because Tesla's looking forward with AI going into uh, working with their uh, AV system, the autonomous vehicle system, the way it works. Uh, it, they're using it to find a cheaper way to make it, which has always been Tesla's bread and butter. So Tesla is able to stay very ultra competitive because they continue to make cars cheaper than there uh, than anybody else in the market right now. So Tesla's able to give you a uh, thirty thousand dollar car and still be profitable versus Ford, GM, or any of these other car makers. If they were to do that, they'd be losing money. So that's their bread and butter. Um, right now, I, I they're we we spoke about the robo taxis. We spoke about you know the China uh, demand. We spoke about. The, the headwinds, the reasons why the Tesla stock took a dip, right? This is why they took a hit come earnings. However, Elon Musk was very optimistic. I, I, I look at Elon Musk, and whenever he talks on his earnings, I, I see him as a straight shooter, right? He's not going to be always optimistic if he's if he's not optimistic. He's gone on on X before and and has said things like, you know, hey, uh, I I don't I think we're going to be slower right now. I don't think we're going to have a good quarter. I think we're going to probably lose money. Um, so he's been very honest about what he feels and what he thinks about the company and for him to come out and say that he's not concerned about these headwinds and he points to some of the good things that Tesla's doing and he's saying, look, we're going to be just fine. We're going to continue moving forward to me that that gives me a stronger, stronger confidence in that this is a time to buy off the dip. I was already buying Tesla anyways, gives me a time to move in probably with more more than what I was planning on buying because I had this weekly buying program I was doing. Um, I could probably go in two weeks at once right now and grab it on the cheap, um, which is what, what I actually did last week. Now, 
given that, that means I have to hold a little bit longer here because I don't want to go in all at once because everyone's talking about after the student loan program and everything else happens and credit cards start to topple when a firm starts, people can't pay their firm bill anymore. Come January, February, we're going to have a downturn in the economy and 2024 is going to be this awful, horrendous recession. I don't think it's going to be that bad, but that's only if those things happen. If those things don't happen, you're going to have a uh, a soft landing. And that is what I'm looking for. So I think Tesla either way is a good buy. Um, if the if what the recession does happen in January and February, starting then in January and February, uh, Tesla still goes down a little bit, but you hold it because it's a good company and this is a long-term investment for me. Um, I believe in in the hold of Tesla. Uh, one, go ahead. No CEO worth their weight's ever going to throw in the towel because of a pending uh, recession. They they might you know pull back in the reins a little bit and stuff like that, but the long-term plans, long-term goals are going to remain the same. Exactly, exactly. And that's why Elon came. He wasn't concerned. I mean, it, he understands the headwinds. He acknowledged the headwinds. He said, this is, yes, these are, you know, some headwinds for us. But, like, yeah, I'm not concerned. I'm looking toward the future here with with Tesla. And we're going to continue moving forward. And so, for me, as a long-term investment holder, I like to hear that. I like to see the news on that. I like the the AI with the AV. Um, uh, AV, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, autonomous vehicle system that Tesla is building is going to be built to where, like Whammo right now, let's say that uh, it takes Alphabet uh, $10,000 to build that AV system for their cars, right? right? Well, then Tesla, with the AI version that they're working on, is going to be able to come in and build it for $2,000. And that's why I was saying this is Tesla's bread and butter, building things cheaper, faster, quicker, and better than their competitors so that they can sell that vehicle at a lower cost, but yet still be profitable versus the other companies cannot. That's what I'm talking about, Tesla. And that's why Tesla's a buy. Okay. All right. So that was Tesla. Now I got to, I give you one headline today, Brandon, one headline. That's all I got for you because I have, uh, I got a little bit after this and you already know what's coming after this. So your headline, this was on CNBC, came out today, October 22nd, 8 a.m. by Sean Baldwin. Right. So it's mainly a video. Uh, you can go on there and watch the video. But there is a little bit to the article as well. And the headline is how Walmart became America's largest grocer. Um, so this in, in the small little bit of the article here, it talks about how uh, Walmart has been taking advantage of the higher inflation over the past couple of years and really honed in on offering the, the same food at a lower cost. They've been bringing in the middle class, the 100,000 100, plus uh, six figure Income people have been coming into Walmart to shop. They've really been doing a, a good job of pulling in more people in to come in there and save a little bit of money there. So you get a mixed bag when you walk into Walmart now as as a customer, as, as far as your peers walking around with you. Now, what they said here, and this is uh, the managing director uh, of consumer and retail at Key Bank Capital Markets. He said, when we think about grocery landscape over the next five and 10 years, we see increasingly middle America and affluent America shifting some of their shopping basket over to Walmart. Um, again, the article goes into its inflation as what drove uh, people into shopping at Walmart and that Walmart's taken advantage of these times to continue to grow to become the uh, largest uh, grocer. 
Thoughts on Walmart, Brandon? Well, continue to be the largest grocer. They've done a, an incredible job uh, ever since their inception of of uh, taking over and then staving off the competition from Amazon. And then uh, you, you really saw like, you know, last year and then even now going into this year, the split off between them and Target and how much better Walmart, I think, is doing um, than Target is uh, at maintaining margins and, and maintaining revenue. Um, I just don't think 30 times earnings is it makes any sense for it, though. Yeah, I, I, I did not see that. Yeah, they are 30 times, really? Wow, okay. I mean, yeah, that's hard. That's hard to justify, even if you include a little bit more growth, like uh, this key bank market capitalist analyst was saying. That's a lot of titles. Um, that there's more growth coming for uh, Walmart in the grocery area. I don't think it's going to equal 30 times for that, but... I have always said that if I'm going to buy any any one of these re- any retailer right now, it would be Walmart, and I, I still maintain that. Uh, but I'm not going to buy Walmart. Just just put that out there. Yeah. But if I if I had to, that would be the one I would buy. So great company, love the company, just don't care that much for the stock price right now. Definitely keep it on the watch list and, and wait for it to come down a little bit. You know, maybe 20 times earnings. But that that's a pretty big shave off. That's you know third of the stock price. Um, unless earnings do increase drastically over the next year. Yep. Yep. All right. Time to go into my last piece here. And um, I know between the two of us, between Brandon and myself, I am probably the one who has covered these, this sector of the uh, market more than, than Brandon has by, by a long shot, I would say I even, uh, and what I'm going to talk about is crypto and Bitcoin right now. Um, But I know there was a time I did the the whole crypto.com when it came out and I, I created a username and I let I let all of you uh, listeners know, okay, this is how it's going. I, I invested the way big, uh, crypto.com told me to. I, I ended up making money, but it wasn't much. It was like I could do better than this in a week than what they gave me in three months. But uh, I mean, I made money. Um, but anyways, so Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin. Uh, this is an article and actually came out on Friday. It was Friday at uh, 12.45 a.m. early. Uh, Bazinga. And uh, this uh, the title is, Why is Bitcoin Surging Beyond 29000 Today? So in the article, it gives you some reasons as why they believe uh, Bitcoin was going up. Uh, they It was, uh, you know, it talks about Fed uh, Jerome Powell acknowledging persistence level of elevated inflation levels, expressed the need for lower economic growth to address the issue. Uh, they they quote Powell some more in here as to you know why this could be affecting Bitcoin. Uh, they also talk about the uh, Bitcoin B- ETS finally being approved, um, and it could be happening sometime in November is what they're looking at. And so they're these ETFs are going to come out, and so that the the Bitcoin is going to start going up in value because these ETFs are getting ready to be to come out and be available to be uh, invested in. Um, but on here there's also a, a little. Part a couple lines I want to read. It says on the liquidation side, out of a total of 25 million in liquidations that occurred in the last 25 hours, over 20 million worth of Bitcoin shorts was liquidated. Um, so it was very interesting as to why it jumped so much at one time in in, in just one day. There, uh, you know, you, you shorts disappearing like that. You know, that's 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 kind of a lot in one day, but. It goes to show that a lot of people are, are starting to become bullish, and I think it has to do a lot with the ETFs, but also something else I'm going to talk about here in a minute. But Brandon, first initial thoughts: Does the ETF 
make it that much more i mean i know that more it's going to provide more liquidity and stuff like that but it, does it actually like add to the initial value of, of bitcoin altogether and my problem with it is that it's very hard to actually value bitcoin when it's not widely used as an exchange yet as far as um buying you know actual physical products with not widely it's used but not widely I was about to interrupt you. I was like, yeah, it's being used a lot more than what it was even just like four years ago. Four years ago to today, it's used a lot more places you can use Bitcoin and it, they're accepted. Um, but yes, yes. Uh, I was As far as like being used like it, you would a dollar. Yeah, it, no, it's not, not quite there yet. Uh, so what a big event that's going to happen next year and they call it it's Bitcoin halving. Having, 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 we're Bitcoin halves. <laughs> so what that means is for anyone who's listening, it's like, what is David talking about right here? So how Bitcoin miners work is Bitcoin miners have to, uh, they, they, <laughs> this is so confusing to start from the beginning and try to explain this, but I'm going to try to do it as quickly as I possibly can. So a Bitcoin node. So if I have a couple computers I want to set up and uh, you uh, set up a node here. Um, it has to have a complete history of transactions that have occurred on the network. Uh, now, they, they don't have the complete transaction. They, they break them down to just, you know, a few uh, ones and zeros here, right? Uh, but they need to have that so that going forward they can mine certain nodes and make sure that these are legitimate and that the Bitcoin network is secure. It's called Bitcoin mining. It's not actually mining. That's just a term that they uh, use to create this. Bitcoin having happens about on average every four years. And it's where the reward for mining Bitcoins gets cut in half, right? So the current reward, I believe, is 12.5. And so the new reward, it's going to be, oh, no, I'm sorry. The current reward is 6.25. And the new reward is going to be 3.125. So for every every time a uh, Bitcoin block gets solved and uh, a, the miner the miner that solved it is going to receive three point one two five bitcoins for doing that work and keeping the security of the Bitcoin network intact. What this also means is now there's going to be fewer bitcoins being produced every single year. Um, and so anytime that the uh, amount of supply gets cut on any particular product, what happens to the price? Price typically goes up. And this is what you also see every single time Bitcoin halves is, you know, the price will typically go up because there's fewer of it, fewer of it being pushed out there into the world. Um, and this is what everybody's looking forward to next year. And this is why the ETS are very important that they go ahead and get created and approved this year ahead of the halving event. And I, I think we're going to see a jump in Bitcoin unless, and here's my caveat to this, again, is unless the U.S. jumps into recession and all those things I talked about actually do happen that cause a recession, that would keep the price of Bitcoin lower. But if those things don't happen or not all of them happen, you're going to see the Bitcoin price go up. But you're also going to see some miners fail to exist because they are no longer going to be able to uh, to continue run these big, huge machineries and mine Bitcoin because they're getting fewer of them. So you're going to see definitely some consolidation in the Bitcoin mining sector. You're going to see a, a number of companies disappear. One of the companies I trade, I've trade, i traded before is Riot Blockchain. 
I don't know how they're set up, and I don't know if they're going to be able to continue running after it has. I have to look into I'm not saying they won't. I'm not saying they can't. I would have to look into it and look into the numbers to be able to make a call that. But I, I want to put that out there as, hey, if you know some of these miners, take a look at it. See how much it's costing them to run these machines and the reward aspect. And then at this current price of Bitcoin, is it still profitable for these miners to continue to exist? Because if not, then you could short sell them now. Right, right. Thoughts, Brandon, on all the information I just gave you, and I know you didn't know all all of that. Yeah, you knew some of it, but not all of that until just yeah. now. I don't. Um, I I don't know enough about how that operates to be able to make a call one way or the other. I can say this. I I can. I understand how Bitcoin is supposed to go up in value. And what it's supposed to correlate with. Um, and it seems like it's starting to move in that direction, right? Like if if the stock market looks like it's about to fail or if it looks like we're about to go into a recession and such, Bitcoin should technically go up along with gold. And, you know, the thesis for the Bitcoin bulls is that Bitcoin can outperform gold. Um. But I don't, I just, I still, it still moves in ways to me that are counterintuitive uh, oftentimes. And then also, you know, looking back at the history of inflation, I think the consensus right now is that, you know, inflation's coming down and that we're probably not going to see 7 to 8% inflation again. Look at the 1970s, though. It went down and came back up and went back, you know, went down and then came back up and then eventually topped out at like 11 or 12 percent or whatever it was. Um, you know, somewhere in the early 1970s, when inflation started to pick up around seven to eight percent, it came back down to four percent again and then went right back up again. So I don't know what's going to happen when it comes to inflation. This is just too it's too uncertain to me. It, I, I get that um, it's uncertain and you don't quite understand it. Um, it's not that I don't understand it. It's just that like there's too many like what ifs. You know okay. What I mean? All right. Too, too many questions that aren't, aren't you can't see clearly enough to make a, a confident decision and, right. and say bye. Exactly. And I get that. And here's my, my thing. I want to say, I, I see Bitcoin going up with my caveats. I see them going up, but I've always pushed in the past that you could buy these miners and they'll go up even more. Like Bitcoin goes up 5%, they go up 15%. My caution now is don't do that with the miners to anybody listening because the miners might be falling off after Bitcoin halves. Um, Bitcoin, I believe, should go up given everything I just said. The ETS is going to create much more volume going in money-wise. Yeah. Um, people are going to be buying these ETFs, investing with them. Um, I think it's going to be a great opportunity for Bitcoin. Um, I don't look at all the cryptocurrencies following suit. A lot of them have disappeared over the past year, which is good. I've called for consolidation in, in this industry. They needed it. Um, and I get your concerns. I do. I do. And it's not for everyone. you know. My, my assumption, too, with Bitcoin coming back up in price, I wonder how much the um, troubles with the regional banks added to that. I mean well. that 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 could have added too. But I mean, gold went up over two thousand this week. I know, and I think that was probably part of the reason for that as well. Is that Bitcoin's moving with gold? Is what you're saying? 
Yeah, I think it's part of it. I think the ETF is probably most of it, but I think part of it is that as well. Okay. All right, man. Well, there you go. Uh, that is what I had. Uh, let's go into final thoughts. Final thought, Brandon. Well, first of all, I want to say that theoretically I support Bitcoin. I, I, I love the decentralized nature of it. So I, I'm not I'm not a bear. I'm not a bear on it whatsoever. I'm just I just don't know, you know, enough. It's 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 hard right now with it not being traded as a currency on a wide basis to be able to value something like that for me. Gotcha. Um, final thought here. I'm going to go off in a little bit of a different direction. Uh, I want people to put general dynamics on their watch list. Um, they, they produce the M1 Abrams tank. Uh, they also have the striker armored fighting vehicle. Um, they're also a finalist to build a replacement for them to Bradley. I think you need to keep an eye on this. Um, Dave, I think you would say to probably like, you could probably dip into it right now, even, um, I don't want people to go just jump into the defense sector because there's geopolitical uncertainty. A lot of these governments and militaries, they buy their products way in advance before it's being used. Uh, so, you know, one or two um, econo- or, uh, uh, geopolitical events may not even move the needle on it. But I do think that defense spending is probably going to go higher. Um, I don't see a way that that doesn't happen. So I, th- I think, um, you know, with geopolitical events being the way that they are, the defense sector, a lot of people kind of jumped in. And I know Lockheed Martin had a, a, a gap up over the week uh, looking for, you know, defense, not just in the defensive sector, but defense in their portfolio as well. But um, I think people at least need to keep an eye on it. If we have another shutdown scare, I think the uh, November 17th is, is the deadline to pass another government funding bill. If we have another scare there, I definitely think that, like, you know, you should be eyeing this to potentially buy it if it comes down in price. There you go. There you go, man. Um, Brandon and I, and so Brandon brought this up before the show. He might mention this. And I quickly, and I I shouldn't have did this because it goes against our rules, but, like, I said, well, what about Raytheon? And uh, because, you know, every time a Tomahawk missile is fired, it's like another 30 million going to Raytheon or something like that. And uh, you did mention that Raytheon has uh, is impacted by Boeing and that they're t- intertwined and Boeing's failings in their supply chains uh, have affected Raytheon stock. Yeah. Correct. Am I quoting you right? Yeah. So and that's one of the reasons why before our, um, I traded defense, I traded Lockheed instead of Raytheon because Lockheed has less exposure to Boeing. Gotcha. But Raytheon makes all those cool little missiles, man. I'm telling you. Um, so every time they're fired, they, they got to get happy because they got to replace those. Um, my final thought is looking in this week, there's earnings everywhere. Like, like we said in the show, earnings everywhere. This is a day traders dream week. My goal, personal goal for this week is to come out of here, making at least 5% on every day trade I make this week. Cause I'll be making a lot with these earnings coming out and I'm hoping to really turn, churn and burn. Now I do give this caveat and warning. This is a warning to all you new investors out here. I have been doing this. For come close to 20 years, not quite 20 years yet, but close to 20 years. I have a lot of years of experience doing this. If you're going to go into earnings week and want to day trade that, you know, every single day, day in, day out, most people do not do well. Yeah. I, I just will put that out there. <laughs> they right, do not they do make well. rational decisions. Yeah. 
they're they're not using disciplined approach, actually valuing companies correctly, looking at the value, looking at the different indicators, you know, such as a PE ratio, you know, where's that at? You know, and combining all these different indicators together to say, all right, this one's undervalued. I'm gonna buy it right now. We're gonna it's gonna jump because of XYZ reason. So I mean, I, I've been doing this for a long time. Um, I don't I can't call these right now because they're going to be day trades for me. So I will call them the day of, and I may even like, uh, there's an Instagram post I did. And it's still up there. You can see an Instagram post where I said to buy something that morning. And then in the comments below it, I put in, all right, get ready to sell this. And then boom, I sold it. And it was all within like hours and I made 10%. But you can, I, I post sometimes those on Instagram. So that might be the channel I use if I'm going to post about a day trade this week. So keep an eye out for that. But lots of earnings, lots of opportunities to learn. Even if you don't trade this week or invest, it's a good opportunity to watch what moves the markets and learn from it. So going into the next time. Dude, let me add to that real quick. Do not, if you're an investor, do not, do not make rash uh, emotion-based decisions. Look, I started dipping into meta right before its largest one-day drop in its history. <laughs> so... But I didn't sell because of my thesis. My thesis for Meta had not changed, and I've doubled my money on it now. Um, so everybody else is going to be making rash, irrational decisions. If you've got money on the sideline, you could probably capitalize on it if somebody oversells a stock. you know. Um, so let everybody else make those terrible decisions. Sometimes it pays, though, just to sit on your hands and do nothing. Yep, I would 100% back that up. Nice. All right. So if you're listening to us, hopefully you learned something tonight and hopefully you had a good, uh, good educational experience. Cause as always, we hope to be entertaining, educational and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. Have a good night. Yeah.